0: Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast.
1: Hello everybody, welcome back to the ESPN Footy Pod once again. My name is Matt Walsh, joined as always by Jake Michaels and champion darters Christian Jolly to talk all things footy. A lot to talk about this week, including the Jordan Goey bump and the hysteria that's come with it. Carlton's horrific run in front of goal and beyond. Adelaide's drastically different form at home and away. And we get to a bunch of listener questions as well. So get yours in for the coming weeks at Footy Tips on Twitter. Jake, how are you going? Good, going to need 90 minutes today, I reckon. Uh, yeah, might need to. Might need to start bringing in two pods a week.
0: Yeah, we've de- we've floated this idea um, for a couple of years now, I reckon. We haven't told Christian this, actually. No. <laughs> first I heard.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we've been talking about this in the office here, about doing uh, one on the Tuesday, like we normally do, yep. and then a, like a Thursday, Thursday or a Friday, or Friday, depending on when the week starts, like a look mm. forward kind of thing. If you do have an appetite for that, let us know, and we can uh, float it forward to the boss and, and see what he thinks. Good idea. Not bad. Well, uh, that, that wasn't even planned. <laughs> yeah, these are the sort of things that, that you go permeate through the bye weeks when there's a bit less footy on, you start thinking about this kind of stuff and uh, it sort of runs away with itself.
2: Christian, how are you? Yeah, good. Uh, bi-weeks, a bit less hectic mm. at
1: Champion Data offices or just uh, more time uh, to look into things?
2: There might be for some people. So I, I'm sort of, during the week I help Channel 7 and uh, the production on their games and sort of the notes. They've got five games on this week, which oh, is which, which is pretty good. Good good for Footy to be yeah. back on free to air, but yeah, my week gets a bit busier, so I think I'm doing a six day week looks oh. like this week. So yeah, exactly. Great. Buy rounds, buy like he's on yeah. So get a so, bit of break during buy rounds, well yeah, I'm working an extra day.
1: King's birthday, obviously on the Monday. They'll do the
0: one.
2: And then they got the Thursday th- night. So Thursday, oh. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, yeah, and Monday. Because they only on free had the
0: three this round, correct? I think you're right, yeah. Um, they pick and choose th- and then obviously
1: with the marquee games they need to stretch their yeah. their commitments either more or less, depending on the Cause time of the year. Because
0: both the Sunday games were Fox, which I thought was weird because, yeah, I mean, we obviously don't... Normally have a 320 on a Sunday. Exactly, so... Yeah, there you go. That's interesting. Uh, well, we are going to talk about things that we noticed. Mm. Jake, why don't you kick it off, off, as kick we, it off for us? As we do. A um, couple of things. I know you always <laughs> laugh at me for not having anything, but I've got a few today. So, Connor Rosie, Port Adelaide, in that Port Adelaide demolition job, everyone would have thought this might have happened in the first half, but it actually happened in the third quarter. He set the record for inside 50s um, in a quarter, the third quarter, where he had eight. Eight inside 50s. At one point, I think, uh, probably halfway through the, the third quarter, um, the commentators actually mentioned that he'd had six to uh, was six to three. three at one stage, yeah. That's just insane, isn't it? Domination, yeah. 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 Uh, one-way traffic and, and just sort of gets
1: into those areas where the next kick or the next... Disposal is going inside 50. Yeah, Not a bad user to have the, the ball in your hands looking inside 50.
0: Rosie? Yeah. Uh, one of the best ones, I would have thought. Mm. Yeah. All Australian? Not quite. Didn't he's, quite make right, out. cut. He's, he's one of those guys that feels like he's one more good game away from being in there. In the squad, isn't he? He's yeah. In the oh, he's definitely in the squad. So, one in of the 40. good
2: stats for him in the last four weeks, there's only three players in the competition averaging at least five clearances and 500 metres gain per game. So, getting it on the inside and moving the ball mm-hmm. on the outside. Chad
0: Warner, Zach Games. Butters. Gun. Connor, Connor Rosie, a
1: couple of teammates in there. That's interesting. Yeah. All the the next generation, the young brigade. Yeah.
0: The other thing I noticed was uh, Luke Bruce, um, someone we've mentioned on this podcast uh, the last couple of weeks, I reckon. Pod favorite. Yep. So he's obviously kicked his 500th goal now. Um, and the thing I noticed wasn't the fact that he his first two shots when he was going for the 500 both hit the post. In fact, that was something else. All four posts in that game were hit in about 13 minutes of game time, which is quite bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bruce actually had nine shots for the game, nine shots at goal, which was the most in his career, the most he's ever had in a game. Which It's funny because he's, he's normally so
1: much more accurate, so he will get five yeah. chances and kick 4-1. Or... So,
0: so you could say he was inaccurate kicking yeah. five, three and one miss, but as I said, two hit the post, so could very easily have kicked seven. Um and captaining the side I think that might have been the first time he's I could be wrong, maybe it wasn't the first time he's captain but um, yeah, just gun player just ultra consistent
1: Yeah, uh, future Hall of Famer I think for sure that's absolutely true uh, Christian, something from the weekend that took your fancy
2: yeah, so a bit of a um follow up from last week, so we're talking about intercept marks going up, so I looked at the number that's 16, 16.3 per team per game which is a competition high, but uh, sort of talking about putting the, your best markers behind the ball. One of the things mm. that we've noticed this year is we do one-on-one win percentage. So you're either the target in a one-on-one contest or you're the defender in a one-on-one contest based on who kicked the ball last. Uh, so defenders- Unless it's
0: Carlton and then it's flipped around.
2: Well, you're still a target of that one-on-one contest. <laughs> it's just how often you win it. But yeah, the, the defender is winning the contest 6% more than the forwards are this year, which is the greatest differential we've ever seen. So it's usually between 1% or 2%. Defenders usually win a bit more, like a spoil down to your teammate will count as a contest win. So they've always got a little bit, um, a, a, a bit more scope to win a contest. But this year, yeah, six percent ahead of the fours, they're actually winning seems a like contest. Seems like a pretty so, significant. Like again, it sounds pretty significant. As I said, and it goes with the intercept markers. And you, you want your best ball winner, or your best aerial ball winner, seems to be playing behind the ball. Now it's, those, it's
1: funny because you get to some contests like that, and the the discussion can always be, you know, oh, he chose to bump when he could have marked, or he chose to try and mark it when he should have hit it away. I guess part of the the skill of being one of those position players as well is just deciding what to do in the moment and, and and who you're up against. Tell me, does a forward knocking it to a, the advantage of another forward count as a one-on-one yeah, yeah. win? Yeah,
2: so any, any spoil to your teammate will count as a one-on-one win and a mark, a free kick, um, or winning the ball directly at ground level without another stat being called. So again, a one-on-one contest we only call when it's it's got to be about a 50-50 chance when the ball's in the air. So if there's one player on the lead that you kick to and the defender's right behind, that's not a one-on-one contest. They've got to be sort of mm. shoulder-to-shoulder uh, with an even chance of winning. And as I said, yeah, defenders are dominating those this year. Interesting. Uh, Something I noticed, it's actually done the rounds on social, I've noticed the
1: last couple of days as well, Mm. is late in the GWS and Richmond game, uh, Jack Revolt kicked a a really nice goal, uh, you know, a couple of minutes left, and it came about because the ball came off Harry Himmelberg's foot. Now, at the time, Himmelberg was insistent that the ball had hit the ground, so it was like a bump ball, Mm. before it had gone over. But the umpire paid on the full, Revolt gets the resulting shot, kicks the goal, you know, so is, ipso facto that yeah, the Tigers actually um, win, the game, by win the game by you know a kick, basically. Yeah. It did bring up a couple of interesting things on social. I, I love the, the chat that it generates because talkback goes wild for this sort of stuff. But the idea of a captain's challenge, we were discussing this in the office, Jake, and you were not about it at all. <laughs> but Because I wouldn't introduce it for things like, you're not challenging holding the ball. You're not challenging all this sort of stuff.
0: But I feel like for black and white things like, has he kicked the ball over the boundary line on the full? Okay, but it, sorry to cut you off, but when's the last time this has happened? Can you name another instance of this happening but it, in but the last we, two yeah, years? No, no, that's fine. But you talk about you know 15 years
1: ago, things we used to do. There was a, a, a kick in a grand final where Tom Hawkins, I'm pretty sure, kicked a, a ball and it hit the post against yeah. Hawthorne. Uh, and it got called a goal, and that could have, you know, had things gone differently that day. Isn't that day. crazy to think now? Like that would have been reviewed, and yeah. it would have been, yeah, exactly. So why why can't you think about the idea that you know you waste a minute at the arc looking at if a
0: ball has gone yeah. one side of the behind post or not? I'm not totally against ever having some sort of review challenge system, but I don't know if they're the things we want to be reviewing. But then to your point, like, do you, what what would we review? Because yeah. we already review score all the scoring. Yeah, is it holding the ball? Is it high tackles? Like. What are you going to do? The if your captain is what if your captain is James Sicily and it happens a hundred meters away from him, what he's going to make the call from there, or I don't know. There's no other sport that's played on such a. I mean, cricket obviously, but cricket's a lot slower where you can there is time to make those decisions. But yeah. I don't know. I just feel like the game's too quick for for it to stop and how it gets stopped and who's making the call, whether it's the coach or or captain.
1: Well, as as what happens when a score review, the umpire holds the ball, things just sort of slow down for a, a minute or however long it takes for the arc to come to its decision.
0: Yeah, but that's that's a score when the yeah. game is. Yeah, but, s- but has defenders
1: if it's a behind, for instance. We'll, we'll grab the ball and they'll they'll try and ship it out of there as quickly as possible.
0: Yeah, yeah, but they'll still stop the game. Whereas if it's if it's a free kick, I mean they just go. I mean you're not gonna the umpire's not gonna stop and say, Hey, do you wanna challenge this? <laughs> of course they wouldn't. I don't know. Anyway, so. food for thought, obviously something that can uh the other thing is if it is a bump ball and he has kicked it into, I would still argue it kind of still is on the full the way because the momentum of the kick coming through as it comes off the ground it still is it's like still, kicking a drop kick out. Yeah, on the full. it's like it's still touching his boot as it's on the way up. If that makes sense. So um, I, I'm not ball. against that being out. On the, I mean, it's a bit unlucky the way it happens, but I'm not. I'm not It's funny you know, This happens in the first quarter of a match And no one talks about it uh, But it happens kind of In a
1: crucial game And game, the other man. part of it Is he
0: kicks the goal If he yeah. misses No one talks about it Exactly uh,
1: Plenty to talk to Talk about today rather uh, We're going to start with Jordan Degowie And the bump on Elijah Hewitt uh, In the West Coast Collingwood game the bump heard around the world, eh? Well, it was, it's, it's taken off, hasn't it? And it's not just the actual bump and the fact that he's been sent straight to the tribunal. He chose to bump and could have corralled or could have tackled and all this kind of stuff. But it's actually the byplay beyond the bump that has kind of taken the headlines. And I want to get your thoughts, Jay, because you've got a, a few strong opinions about bits and pieces relating to this kind of stuff. But firstly, the Dom Sheed comments that he should have had got a month or two for, for the incident. Uh, Right, rightly sp- whacked by, by some else parts in the media and players and all that for, for, for coming out sort of against another player, mind you, you know, all part of the Players Association,
0: coming out against another player and saying you should have been given months, potentially? It's very rare that it, that we hear players speaking out like that, right? It's very rare you hear you would hear another player saying Against such player. and such deserves a lengthy ban. Normally, it's the complete opposite. Even yeah. players that are the, the victims are the ones that say they're oh, witnesses in tribunals. Oh, I know he didn't mean he's it. Like he's got good character and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it, it was a bit weird. Um, <laughs> someone brought up the point that uh, a- Andrew Gaff, his teammate, when he punched Andy Brayshaw, got six weeks. Um, so it's like basically saying it's worse than that. So I don't know. I, to be honest, when I kind of heard it, I thought. I didn't think he meant it. I know he said it, but I don't think he meant like he deserved an eight-week suspension. I think he just sort of because he said a month or two, or two, and and he, I think it just that little bit was tacked on. If he just said a month and ended it there, I don't think anyone talks about it. Well, he's probably going to get two to three minimum weeks, not months. Three, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> correct. Uh, no, th- so three minimum, right? Yeah. If it's tribunal, well, it will well, be yeah, three minimum. Unless they argue it? Yeah, um, and I think three is probably the the right number. So the the. The other major incident in the last 12 months that I think a lot of people are comparing it to was the Tom Stewart bump on Dion Prestia last year, um, which obviously left Prestia concussed straight out of the game. So it was quite a similar incident. I think that one was a later hit. Yeah. Um, it looked like a little bit more malice in that one. And the ball's actually out. The ball's out of the picture by the time that they make contact. I don't think Dego's was as severe as that. Um, yeah. However, I'm not in the camp of some of these ex AFL players and media personalities trying to really play it down no, as if I as if it was. Um, I can't get my head
2: around some people saying that that's just a football act. It's not anymore. Yeah. We know from it the not and it three hasn't years, been. For, yeah, and I've been I've been consistent on on the pot after the, after the guys got rid of the ball. You're not allowed to touch. Exactly. So to line them up like that is even worse.
1: Even even the time between that. That Stuart and Prestier incidents and now things have changed. So obviously we've had yep. um, groups of players sue the AFL for for the negligence around CTE, concussion, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And the 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 tribunal's come out a lot stronger about it. I mean, the issue that we had earlier in the year was that Cosy Pickett was very fortunate in 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 his bump in round one on Bailey Smith because Smith got up straight away yeah. and kept playing. Whereas Elijah Hewitt, young kid, I know his age doesn't shouldn't matter, but you mm. know, these are young men you're talking about, you know, or women in the women's game, where if you hit them they're they're still they're still growing, uh, they're still developing adults. So it's it's possibly even more risky for them. But yeah, there's been some really strange commentary as well. Some some ex players out there. We, you know, no, no need to name them and fuel the fire. But just they just don't get it that head knocks are, are just not cool anymore.
0: We're just calling it soft and you know what what's happened to our game. Yeah. It's just like you gotta you gotta. You know, grow up and you going to move with the I think, times. I think that
2: conversation is about four years old now. I think yeah. we, we're all aware of where yeah. the game is heading. But,
0: it, but it's still happening. That's the that's the sad part of it. Anyway, as you said, we don't need to carry on about it. But, yeah, I do. I think it's a three-week suspension. And, like, as you said, the the, the rules have changed and the expectation has changed since then. I mean, the, the Stuart bump is probably five or six weeks if that happens tomorrow, today. Um, the problem the AFL sets and we talk about this all the time is that precedent about how we look at the r- result as opposed to the action and you mentioned the cosy Pickett one mm. so people will argue that it should be a similar sanction to that should it be should it not be that's the question i'd argue that it's always the action that deserves the punishment as opposed to the outcome whether he's concussed i or think not. players now should
1: be going into contests like that where Togo was the only one nearby who could have affected the play could have corralled could have could have put his arms around to, to, to try and tackle and 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 chose pretty early I think before the ball had left to to shoulder up and look it's just risk risky run if you bump someone and it comes off you go shoulder to shoulder and and everyone's up unhappy it's fine if you're a coach but the risk
0: is you can mm. you could concuss someone if you're a coach in the football today do you are you trying to take get Bumping out of the, out of your players' game, like, do you want your players bumping? It's so risky, like, like ball in risk dispute, reward. Maybe. It's it's not ball in dispute, maybe. You know, ball's it's there. Just, turn your body, but I... especially a smaller. If you're a bigger body, like naturally, your shoulder will be at head height mm. of some players, so. I just feel risk reward. It's just not it's there not to it. be bumping. Like tackle it. or n- tackle or
1: nothing, basically. Uh, just quickly before we move on, your thoughts on West Coast's Instagram post of the
0: incident, and then just straight to the tribunal that got deleted, and then they apologised to Collingwood. Yeah, a bit in the same uh, same family as the well, Sheed Sheed's comments. It was a bit strange um, the way in which they came out, and then sort of backflip. club social media. I, would, I mean, are we. Do we have an issue with clubs posting stuff like that? I didn't. That was the. I thought it was more bizarre that they Deleted took it down a, and then and apologized apologize? for. It. I thought just leave it as like. I don't understand why they can't a buy play that. on is yeah, Kind yeah. of don't interesting. Think there, yeah, I agree. I don't many. think there's anything wrong with that. Anyway, uh, because we see. I know it's a bit different, but we see little digs and jibes and stuff about actual on field and and results and those sort of things. I think I think fans like that and it's a bit of fun. Um, I understand this is a little bit different, but it was it was. The Eagles doing it, the, the I guess the victim as opposed to Collingwood doing it. I, I don't know issue with it. Uh, oh, Carlton's rotten run.
1: Talk about a broken record. Uh, but the Blues are broken, especially in front of the big sticks. In the last month, they've scored 44, 51, 57, and fifty-nine points, a total of twenty-seven goals and forty-nine behinds. But it's crucially, twenty shots missed completely. Yeah. Um, so with an eye on the stats, brought to you by Specsavers, stats from Christian. What are we what, like? These are pretty bad numbers but they are just beyond below what we expect from the blues this year
2: yeah and just starting with the obviously the accuracy that you just said so that's yeah 33 percent uh shot at goal accuracy from 81 shots in the last four weeks uh bottom of the competition six percent lower than anyone else um and i think 15 or 16 percent lower than the comp average in that time which is around 48 percent so can't can't uh kick straight when they're in front so it's obviously led to their second last and again Almost lucky that West Coast exists, even in the last four weeks, that they're below Carlton in all these stats. So Carlton are 17th for points for, 17th for scoring once inside 50. I mean, 17th for points generated from turnovers, 18th for points generated from clearances. So that's one area that West Coast is higher than them. Uh, if you just take into account, all every time you start a chain, they're sort of 17th for converting those into a score. But it all starts from even further back. I mean, they're 17th for moving the ball from mm. D50 to inside 50, which, again, gives, been you, atrocious. That gives you good quality looks. If you can do that 10, 15 times a game, you're usually going to score 7 or 8 from those inside 50s. Uh, and they're 17th for, ki- for hitting a target when they're kicking inside 50, so retention rate inside 50. So falling down with that final kick in front of goal, falling down with that kick inside 50, and, and not not being great with that quick ball movement from end to end, it's, it's all... Uh, it's all compounded on itself and turned into what it has the last four weeks. Jake,
1: uh, you got plenty of opinions on, on the blues and, and oh, no, no you nothing. know. Yeah. We, we've been talking about it pre pod about, about the issues that they yep. do face. Oh, there's plenty.
0: It's across the board. It is. And there's so much more with the scoring. I mean, the, like, like Christian said, I mean, the scoring is what we see at the end of the day, but it all kind of comes back to so many other aspects of the game. But just looking at scoring, there's, there's a lot of other things. So spread a goal kickers at Carlton. Um, Blues ranked 16th for different goal kickers this year. Uh, just not getting enough players contributing. They've had six play, only six players kick more than three goals this year. Like, that is a... An, an Total abs- throughout the season. Throughout the season. Yeah. yeah. So, six Carlton players have kicked four-plus goals this year. Mackay, Kurnow, Owies. Silvani. Silvani, Durden, Motlott. Yeah, they're the six. They've no kicked, mids. No, nah, no midfielders that have kicked more. So just for a little bit of context, like their next opponent, Essendon, if they've got 16. You know, Melbourne's got 18. Even, even West Coast have 10. Like, just not getting enough goals from their midfielders and from other players it's the it's the front six or nothing yep uh
1: you talked about the movement just the the stagnant slow then the then the hope with the long kick and and the retention rate and all this kind of stuff we talked last week Christian about Frio's ability to rejig on the run and how they've managed to unlock a scoring avenue how can the Blues look to do something like this
2: and that's why it's so hard I mean you asked me the question three weeks ago, and my answer would be a lot different it's it's all falling apart and we'll get to the game Carlton Melbourne from Friday night um in a minute, but the contest fell away as well. Their clearances fell away, so they couldn't get their hands on the ball. So that was another another reason to um, sort of go. You know that they didn't do so well was they just yeah they mm. lost the contested possessions, which is one thing you can hang your hat on. for yeah. winning the last two years. So the ball movement stuff, though, I think you know they've they've tried this sort of the high kick mark game. It didn't work early in the season. They've done the handball game. Um, it worked well for the first half of last season, but probably broke down in the second half of last season. So. They've tried different things. They just haven't been able to nail one. But it is—it's—it's the periods of games. It's they go slow, and then there's just that one kick in the chain where someone decides to go fast, and it all breaks down. So it does seem to be, as a Carlton fan watching it, the philosophy changes mid-chain. It doesn't seem like not everyone's on the same page. Yeah, it doesn't seem like consistency. So you can you can go out with a plan, but then when you watch chain by chain for Carlton, you're just like, well, there was two short kicks that weren't taken, and then they've gone long over three players' heads and just turned it over. They're just making the wrong decision. So. Again, the last four weeks watching them, it's it's making it even harder to figure out what they're trying to do because so many parts of their games are just breaking down each week. Yeah, uh, Blues, they um, face a bit of a tough run and, and we talk
1: about the Bombers and what they've been able to do. They're now sixth on the ladder, Jake, so they're they're no easy beats uh, this week. I think then the the Blues have the bye after that and then it's Gold Coast at the MCG and we'll talk about the Suns later, but mm. they are an, another team that just, uh, they are hard to play against and they are hard to beat, so... Things could well get worse for the Blues uh, before they get better. Uh, We talked about, off the top, talking about the Crows. Now, we were looking at a couple of stats uh, in our Stocks Up, Stocks Down column from the weekend, Jake, about the the Crows at home and the Crows in a way, and we tasked Christian with sort of nailing down different bits and pieces and and why they are so different. They're this sort of offensive juggernaut, formidable, hard, free-flowing footy, able to score heavily at home, and then on the road just seem like they're a bit more timid. They're sort of unable to score as freely and... The stats are pretty damning. I wouldn't say damning, but for a team that is looking to improve and has actually taken Mm. great strides this year, there are still inconsistencies and things that they need to iron out to take the next step.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you say damning. Some of the stats I did look at aren't too bad, and that's that's the funny thing when you look at sort of their home and interstate record. So some of the things I looked at, I mean, inside 50s per game, they're 51.3 at home, 50.1 away. So they're, they're still same, getting the ball inside thing. 50 the same amount of times. Their scoring rate inside 50 is a little bit higher at home, but it's not massive. 45.1 percent of the time they score inside 50 at home, 43.5 percent away. So it's a slight drop off there. Um, D 50 to inside 50, as I said, 19 percent at home, 19 percent away. So they move the ball as successfully away, or, uh, home or away. But it is it's that it's the, f- the finishing the result. It's the it's the the scoreboard. Um, factor in the end of it. So their points four at home have been 87 points four. When's this? Sorry, this is over 2000. Sorry, yeah. Starting from the start of last year, I've gone back to so 2022 and 2023 together. Um, So yeah, at home, 87 points four and 83 points again. So they got a pretty good record. uh, 10 wins, nine losses. And they're sort of, you know, slightly in front of the points four or points against column. Away, seventy-six points four and ninety-five points conceded. So ninety-five points conceded. Yeah, it's about a twenty, a four-goal turnaround in terms of the the finishing result on the scoreboard. But again, it's one of those ones where. Every game's been different. Some of those games have been because they haven't been able to get inside 50. Some of them have been because they haven't been able to convert their inside 50. But there's no one clean number in terms of, you know, looking at ball is movement. Is that
0: better and in, a, in the sense that each one has been a different well, way? It, it, most
2: teams are. And it was the same when we used to talk, always talk about West Coast and how bad they were at Melbourne. There was no one stat that just completely fell away in Melbourne. It was just when they got here, there was just little bits of their game that just weren't on, on song. And and, it, and you sort of um, it would change each week. But the one consistent thing I noticed for the Crows is... Their quarter by quarter scoring is quite similar um, their margin differentials in across most of the quarters home versus away i mean away's got a few uh, a few you know negative five points in the second quarter compared to plus 20 or so um at home but the, it's the final quarter that was the biggest difference so final quarter points differential locally in the last two years they're plus 71 points in is this final cumulative quarters. yeah so this is the total so across their all, all their fourth quarters uh since the start of last year they're plus 71 at home negative 126 away so and that was part of Golko. I know Gold Coast sort of outscored them in late in the game, um, but there's been a few games where they've just been overrun late, playing on the road. Interesting, isn't it? What you, what can you put this down to? We talk about how they've got similarly inside fifty numbers,
1: actually moving the ball from defensive fifties, looking pretty good. Mm. Just just the finishing, and we talk about the Crows a lot as as good finishers, a team of good finishers. But it just seems like it just can't like it just falls a little bit apart on the road. What like mentality? Where where can you see this being an issue?
0: I think there is a little bit in all honesty I think there's a bit of a whether it, not so much Victorian bias but I think Victorians and, and all of us we probably underestimate how hard it is to travel because you know Christian mentioned West Coast that West Coast team of you know seven, eight years ago how good they were and every time they came here they just it was they were awful. So it was a we're fatigue spoke, thing. Oh, I don't know. We're talking about Brisbane being unbeatable at the Gabba, and then they get on the road, and they do. They look like a at times they look like a, a mid-table team, and now we're seeing it with Adelaide. So I think it's a trend that's not just it's not just one team that we've seen it with. I think most team, well, just about every team uh, that plays outside of Victoria, we've seen this at some period good point, of time. Yeah. Uh, so so my question, okay, so I don't think it's Vic bias so much as. It's more that we underestimate teams, how difficult it is to, to be travelling every second week. Yes, because, interstate teams travel more. Yeah, we we look we looked at the fixture and we saw, oh, Richmond Richmond was playing it in, uh, in Sydney and they got to go to Perth this week. It's like, oh my God, how, how often is that? Two happen? weeks in a row. Yeah, well, yeah it's <laughs> like that's what you know. they they're, they're travelling eleven times a year basically. Yeah,
1: fair enough. Uh, all good points. Um, but we talked about a couple of weeks ago the crows just being able to take the next step under Nix And yeah. we, we talked about the wins each year improving. Um, it's just these little things like the final quarter points differential. These are the things they need to get slightly better at on the road. Um, you know, and not give them give themselves excuses yeah. to become genuine contenders. Uh, I've got a bunch of listener questions to get to as well this week. Put the, the word out on Twitter, and we've collated a few. If you do want to get them in, at uh, Tips on Twitter is where you can find us. Uh, we'll try and get to those uh, most weeks if we can. Andy Ross on Twitter, are Shepherds countered by champion data? I noticed a few of the Melbourne players laid some good ones to help offset Carlton pressure on the ball carrier. I never hear them discussed, but they are so crucial for ball movement.
2: Yeah, so we, uh, we've we been covering them. They've been part of the original stat suite, so they've been around since 1999. Uh, we call them blocks, so a shepherd or a block. I think I think block is just easy to How say. How close what? do you have to be He'd to the call. player with the ball? Well, that's what I was going to say. So blocks are one of those stats that the, your teammate has to be successful with what they're doing for you to get a block. So we we call blocks, and that's sort of what I'll... The interesting one for me, as I'll talk about in a second, is, is blocking before marks. Blocking in marking contests is on a rise, and we've never seen so many. Uh, than what we've heard in the last two years so that's one to watch for me but again a block in a marking contest if your teammate doesn't end up taking a mark or getting both hands of the ball and dropping a mark we won't record a block for the teammates doing the block so it Mm. is one of those stats where you can put a block on but if your teammate doesn't get the ball then the block won't be recorded as we'll only sort of Call it when your team is successfully taking possession. Is that, of is the that ball. a stat so, that's
1: called at the
2: time, or is that back called later? No, nah, this is this is called live, so it is. It's one of the very very rare stats that's not ball centric. Every other every mm-hmm. other stat we call, even the tackle, the tackler has to be tackling someone holding the ball. The block is the one stat that's sort of happening consistently off the ball. Um, so yeah, we're trained. You know, we've got as I said, we've got the ten callers and people are trained to sort of look for for guys blocking in marking contests and off the ball. And if you're asking for a, uh, a distance, again, it has to be sort of on camera is a good guy but yeah within five meters it's it's similar to what a legal block is if you get you you shouldn't be allowed to block more Mm. than five or ten meters off the ball so if you get away with it uh we'll pay a block but as i said it is it's one of those stats that i find that you would be able to you'd be able to lay a block but if your teammate overruns the ball or gets tackled and doesn't take possession of the ball then you you sort of lose your block so it's one of those ones that's dependent on someone else doing something good for you to get that number but uh, as i said running it since 1999 and uh yeah, the, the leader for blocks, I reckon, uh, earned a captaincy through his blocking. A
0: current captain?
2: No, a past captain who made a career out of blocking. And even, I think, had the rules changed because of the way he was blocking.
0: Nick Maxwell.
2: Correct. So Collingwood changed the game the way they were blocking the man on the mark. And I think it happened probably late Malthouse Day, so probably started happening uh, 2007, 2008 or so. Um where yeah, they were just setting up and just blocking. So nearly, you know they were taking 90 marks per game, and they were probably almost having 70 blocks because they would just block them out yeah, on right. the mark. And and uh, Harry O'Brien, Heath Shaw, and those guys would just take take off and start running. So Nick Maxwell, I think he's got 350 blocks across his career. That's the most we've ever covered. But if That's you look, amazing. so again, that was probably more. Um, and again, back back in the early days, there was a lot more running bounces. There was a few more uncontested possessions, and and blocks were a lot higher um, back in the day. So I think we we're up to about. 12 and a half blocks per team per game when champion does first started now we're down to seven blocks per team per game so it's almost halved but Mm. i think it's the way and same as running bounces it's the way the game is it's more congested and and, and sort of more ball centric so not a lot of room to block but as i said that the one blocking number that's going up so you, you look at how you can block you can block before someone has a disposal so they have the ball in their hands you're blocking to allow them to kick uh without being pressured you can Block before a mark's taken, or you can block before someone actually gets the ball, sort of clearing the path for them. So, uh, if you look at the sort of the three-year trend, so blocking when someone's in possession of the ball, we had five per game or per team per game three years ago. We're down to three per game this year. So less blocking once a teammate gets the ball. And again, I think that's more ball movement instead of blocking. Actually, give that you know, give get that guy space, an option, Get the next ball in the chain and, and get a handball. Mm. So we're seeing less blocking, but the before the mark is the big one. So again i'll go all the way back to when we first started doing this that there was 0.45 blocks before a mark per team per game uh hovered around one 1.1 dropped down to 0.5 again around 2017. last year we were at 2.03 blocks before marks per team per game and, and another 1.97 so they've almost quadrupled uh in the last six years and and watching that i think there is a little bit of cheating going on. Well, in terms I think say, defenders fine, are getting away with it a lot. It's and, and a fine I'm seeing line between
0: a free kick being paid, right? Yeah and, I, yeah, and
2: I feel like it's it's one of those ones watching ruck contests four or five years ago and it was sort of like uh, a lot of who was which ruck free kicks were going to get paid and which ones weren't. Mm-hmm. I feel like blocks in the defence, they're happening on every, every kick inside 50, there's a block almost being applied by a defender. But I feel like one of 10 are being called a free kick, whereas the other nine all look exactly the same to me but aren't being paid. So again, yeah, that's the big number. And you look at the top five blockers this year. Um, blockers. Sam, Exactly. Sam Collins, Jacob Wietering, Dylan Grimes, Sam Frost. So four right. key defenders all up there. It is clearly that's the part of the ground where the blocking is happening the most.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, do you count a block or a shepherd if the ball's kicked from 50 and someone kind of lets it... It sort of blocks their opponent from touching it yeah, on the goal line? I was going to say, that's probably missing.
2: That is another block. Yeah. Um, that's probably missing from my numbers, a block between a sh- a kick and a shot. And again, that has to be a goal. So if you kick it, block for a guy on the line and ends up hitting a post, you won't get your block recorded. <laughs>
0: <That's different>. so, <laughs> it's still a block. Exactly. But is it's, that it's, that it's most- one
2: of those ones that's got to go hand in hand and the block actually made something. What if it's the score happen. that so, wins the game? If, well, you, we would count it. Correct. So yeah, a, a winning correct. behind becomes a an effective kick when, uh, it, when right. it changes the result. Is
1: that the part of the ground where... All rules just go out out the door. I've seen players drag oh, it and players it's been, it's down it's on the ridiculous. line. It's ridiculous.
0: Some of the stuff that they get away with on the goal. Just back anywhere to else on the ground, and that's being paid a free kick against. Hundred percent. Back just back to what you were saying before. If if that say the scores are tied. 70-70 and there's 10 minutes to go and some and that no. exact thing happens but there never no one ever scores again
2: nah that's too early there's, there's because again you've got a lot of a lot more opportunities to score so we use it to about 40 50 seconds of that was the last opportunity mm. of a team to score if if you kick the winning behind the team goes down the other end and ends up kicking it on the full you're effective your behind won't be effective because it's sort of like well you've won the game but the other team had a chance to win it it's it's more like it's got to be the final shot there of the game are.
1: Uh, Dara good Murphy. stuff. <laughs> that's good stuff. Dara Murphy, uh, looks like the Suns have a percentage of exactly 100. Yes. Wonder if Christian has the stats on how often and how late that occurs. Not, uh,
0: yeah,
2: sorry. Or the on. latest that it's occurred. Yeah, so we, again, we've got all these numbers going back to 99, so I haven't got uh, any data before that round by round. So it might have happened a <laughs> bit earlier, but the most recent one was, yeah, 2015, I think it was, Port Adelaide were exactly 100% after round 20. So Jeez. almost got to the got to the end of the season being even points four and even points again. So Gold Coast got a few more weeks to go. But yeah, we I don't think anyone's been at hundred this year since round two. That's interesting. So we had a few teams at round, uh, sorry, after round uh, round one, we had Carlton and Richmond at, uh, on hundred. I think they were the only two this year, and then yeah, yeah Gold Coast was the one point. that got back to good <laughs> very, <do> <laughs> very, very Gold Coasty kind of percentage, isn't it? Well, it is just 66, middle of
0: the pack, just a hundred. Like that is where they we, are. Right we've now. looked at
1: their run home too, Jake, and it's it. We see them winning two of the next four, and then three of the next six, and yeah. could enter the last couple of rounds at at um at ten and ten. So it's just one of those, another one of those seasons where, and we've talked about the Suns in the past, mm. but taking the next step,
0: they, um, they look, I don't know if we're, I don't know are if we we're getting ahead of ourselves to Gold Coast right now? But they, so a bit, they got the bye this week, and then they play Carlton. And given Carlton's form, they should be favourite in that game at the MCG. Even though it's at the MCG, I reckon mm. they could just about win that game. And then Hawthorne at home, so they they really should be eyeing off two wins after the bye. Then it gets a little, little bit tougher. But their their last couple of games, I think they play Carlton again at home, North Melbourne. So they. You want to go into the last two against Carlton at home and North Melbourne away, I believe, with a chance to make finals. Because I reckon they can beat both those teams. Because Carlton might not be playing for anything, and North certainly won't be.
1: In a in a word, uh,
2: Gold Coast making finals this year? Uh, I can't comment on Gold Coast before. It's so hard Charles. to say yes. I, I, they've done this so many times. It's am. almost we, eight years in a row that they've been in this exact we, same position. I, I, you year. could
0: literally find this discussion we've had every year since we started this podcast. I'm not going to say yes, but I would love to see them make it. I really would.
1: Fair enough. Uh, Rudy Edsel. Apologies, Rudy. I am really late on this one. Uh, Does a team applying low pressure make it easier for the opposition to apply super high pressure and vice versa? So, like, did GWS's low numbers contribute to Collingwood's high numbers, for example, and this is going back a few weeks?
2: No, so they actually go the other way. So, again, it's it's more of a game-style thing. You'll find if one team's putting high pressure on... When they, so they're putting pressure on, when they do win the ball, they're going to be in a contested area and it's going to be easy for the opposition to sort of turn around. Even if they're not putting pressure on, you're in a high pressure situation because you're in traffic and things like that. So that's why a pressure differential is a good way to look at it because a lot of the times, yeah, you might be putting on 200 points of pressure, which we say is a good number. But if your opposition is putting on 220, then what does it mean? You know, your, your pressure is good, but you're mm. still being out pressured across the game. So, differential wise, you'll find that probably 20 points uh, pressure differential is is a big differential. So if one team's on 197 and another team's on 177, it's very rare to have that bigger differential because it means one team is really dominating in close and then just being able to take the ball into space. But you will find that, yeah, a team that's low a pre- uh, low pressure team, will come up against a team that's a high-pressure team and their pressure will be up for that week just mm. because of the game style and, 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 Matching intensities of, yeah, where, and where the ball isn't getting into as much space as other games.
1: Interesting. And uh, a last one, Jeremy on Twitter as well. How important are inside 50s to winning the game? There seem to be a lot of teams dominating the inside 50s but losing. For example, GWS were plus 23 in a loss. Hmm.
2: Yeah, so I've got some GWS numbers. We can get onto those when we go through the game. But it's that 73% winning uh, percent, you know, win the inside 50s this year, um, win the game 73% of the time, which is actually the highest it's been in five years. It's it's dropped down to about 61% um, a few years ago. So it's always fluctuated. So 73% is sort of gets it in the top 12 sort of key stats for this year. But Tying as I said, it, I it's, it it's, fluctua- it is, it's fluctuated yeah. every year. And again... We've seen different teams. We saw Collingwood last year were a very, very big counter attack team yeah. and they made a prelim from it. This year, Port Adelaide, Brisbane, and Melbourne, who are sort of all up on the ladder, are very high territory dominating teams, especially Port Adelaide. So, again, it, it, it sort of it just depends on what the best teams are doing. Some teams are sort of breaking it. Sydney were one of those teams last year. They were very counter attack as well, broke even in the inside 50s, just didn't dominate territory, made a grand final. Whereas this year, it seems like the best teams are all sort of playing a high-territory game. Yeah. There you go. Like I said, if you do have questions, at Footy Tips on Twitter,
1: we'll do our best to get those answers. He's always got the answers. In coming weeks. I know, we've thrown a few curly ones yeah. at him, and he always comes up with something, so that's good stuff. Uh, the one telling start from every game, last uh, this year we've introduced a new segment where we go through every game from the round, look at uh, where it was won and lost. And on Friday night, a bit of a dour game. Shocker. Carlton tend to bring the worst out of every team, bring the game down to their level. Uh, and it was low scoring, it was a scrap, and the
2: numbers show that. And yeah, and if you're blaming Carlton for it, they were out scrapped in their scrap because, <laughs> as I said, as a Carlton supporter, one thing you could always bank on going to the football and seeing him do is compete at the contest, especially midfield clearances. They're always going to get, you know, break even or win the contested possessions. It's probably, since Voss has got there, that's always been sort of the case. On, the, on Friday night, just in the midfield zone alone, there were negative 27 contested possessions down on Melbourne. But you add to that, there were also negative 16 tackles. Um, and that's just in the midfield zone alone. So I've had a look at that. In the last 10 years, there's only been three teams to be able to sort of have more than 25 contested possessions and 25 tackles in the midfield. Two of those have been Melbourne um, doing it twice in the last few years. So, Mal- so Carlton were just completely smashed in terms of they weren't first to the ball. Uh, and if they were first to the ball, they were just getting tackled and turning it over. So again, the, the one strength that I've sort of been able to bank on Carlton having fell apart completely on, on Friday night.
1: Uh, Port Adelaide Hawthorne, we talked about this before, just a bit of a weird Probably game. Probably the weirdest game, Well, certainly of the year. Almost like the Hawks were the ones who were half an hour behind, because they started really poorly, but actually, you can kind of split it into two, which is what you've done here, Christian. The start of the game, to halfway through the third term, and then halfway through the third term to the end of the game, and the numbers for Port in particular are bizarre
2: yeah exactly just the drop off so whether it's Port or Hawthorne so I, I mean one thing I give credit for is I looked across the whole game and Hawthorne stuck to their guns they used the corridor the most of anyone for the round again did it in the first half so they they were doing They you know Hawks weren't trying to change the game up they were they were sticking to their guns in the first half and completely got overrun but it sort of almost showed in the second half that there is something that Sam Mitchell is getting right It's it's he didn't flood the game he didn't go defensive he said we're going to stick to our guns and we're going to go f- offensive so Sort of looked at, even the, even the start of the third quarter, and I know we are talking about uh, Connor Rosie then, as I said, he had six inside 50s in the first 10 minutes. So it was the two parts of the game was basically from the start of the game to the 12-minute mark of the third quarter was all Port Adelaide. And then from the 12-minute mark of the third quarter, to the end of the game was all Hawthorne. So some of the stats. So the points differential plus 90 for Port uh, in the first part of the game, negative 35 from that point on. Inside 50 differential was plus 32 for Port up until the 12-minute mark of the third quarter completely changed negative It was 12 in Hawthorne's favour Um, in the later part of the game is I mean, it concerning
0: yeah, if you can include
2: I don't know it's no. it's one of those ones that I think a little bit because Hawthorne is it, it Hawthorne tested their um, ability to stop clean ball movement and, and what Hawthorne were doing end to end was working so I think there's a little bit that you take out that you, you sort of go well if a team's able to do that against us for four quarters we're in trouble because Hawthorne were able to uh, find the ball in space again uncontested position differential plus 34 from the start of the game to the 12-minute mark of the third quarter. That was that was Port Adelaide's dominance, plus 34. Plus 72 for Hawthorne from the 12-minute mark of the third quarter at the end of the game. So Hawthorne were just finding spot uh, space and uh, free players all through the ground. So I think, yeah, I think there's a little bit of concern for Port in terms of, yeah, they really did struggle to, to maintain that end-to-end ball movement that Hawthorne brought.
1: Is it easy or... Sorry, is it hard to continue the ruthlessness when you are up by so much? It you, is. You put 105 points on a
0: half time. It is.
2: But I was watching at half time thinking the, this team and the the probably the demographic of the team they were younger. I just didn't think they were going to let up. I thought Butters, Rosie, Hornfryd, mm. they're all going to sort of have a day out here. They Finn Laysen and Marshall were sort of I think they were sniffing a bag. And I, I seriously thought at half time this could get scary because Port don't look like a team that's going to just, just take it a bit. Yeah, uh, halfway did.
0: through the second quarter I, when they were just piling the goals on, I actually wrote. Down like I thought 171 points and I'll go conservatively (laughs) that's what I thought they'd kick so for them to only get get 151 and to concede 96 well that's the thing that that was Carlton 44 points for for as bad as Hawthorne were they scored two and a half times the points so not quite but but more than twice Uh,
1: what did you make of West Coast's performance on the weekend because they started really poorly It looked like that could have gotten really ugly too similar sort of thing where you
0: think they're in this game and then you look it's like they lost by 10 goals.
1: Yeah, but that that last quarter and the first quarter by Collingwood were, were were excellent, but you look in the middle and and you started to see a bit from the midfield that has just hasn't had time and 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 an ability to play together. You look at Dom Sheed at 41, Yo was really good.
0: 43.
1: Yeah, It was a 43, was it? Mm. Okay, 43, my apologies. Uh and uh, Yo was really good um Kelly probably has been sneaky good all year. A, yep. bit, a little bit underrated, just because no one's really giving the time of day to to, to West Coast. Well, I but think
0: probably they're uh, behind Allen. I would say their second best player.
1: We started to see a little bit from them. They just couldn't string it together for long enough patches, and that's where Collingwood uh, dominated.
2: Yeah, so you can talk about Sheed, Kelly, and Yo, So twenty six clearances between those three. I think Collingwood had thirty three for the game. So West Coast had their top line midfield finally up and running, but it was there was the numbers were they were promising for west coast but they still showed sort of a i think a lack of uh polish and sort of that that was the main difference for the for the two teams so the eagles were plus eight for inside fifties across the first three quarters they were plus 12 for ground ball gets they were in front of clearances and contested possessions um, but the two numbers that sort of stood out even in the first three quarters where the game was sort of evenly poised scores from turnovers nine points for west coast 57 for collingwood so even though they're only down by five or six points on the scoreboard at one stage West Coast were only scoring from stoppages. Once they turned the ball over, Collingwood were able to uh, were able to punish them, go on the other way. Um, and yeah, you look at scores from back half in that in the first three quarters. As I said, the score was quite even, but Collingwood were five two from back half. West Coast was one one. So just that that pure ball movement from one end to the mm-hmm. other. So again, promising numbers. I think they they tried really really hard, but the numbers still show that 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 polish and that whole sort of ball movement and and being able to sort of protect and punish turnovers is still lacking.
1: Uh, six in a row now The Cats have won over The Dogs just seem to have The wood over them uh, What do you see from this game?
2: Yeah, I think it's I think I've gone further It's 21 out of the last 25 I think they've won Against the Dogs Going back to the start of I think way back to 2000 That's so crazy, it's, isn't it? It's just one of those teams You know Um Yeah, and and talk about with the kids, you know, talk about cats. And that's one they should have Cats are always, you know, talk about if they fight in real life. I'm like, a cat would always beat a dog anyway, (laughs) which they (laughs) seem seem to do on the footy field. But um, for that one, it was just quality in the forward half. So the inside 50s were quite even. I think Geelong might have won uh, by one. But, I mean, you look at, and everyone sort of spoke about after the game, oh, the Bulldogs were inaccurate. The Bulldogs could have won that had they kicked more accurate. Again, we look at uh, expected scores based on where you're taking your shots from. Geelong was still expected to score 93 in that game and Bulldogs 81. So even though the Bulldogs were inaccurate, Geelong was still finding better shots on goal, cleaner shots and were expected to score more anyway. Um and then yeah, you just look at the sort of, you know, disposal efficiency once the ball was inside 50, 67% for Geelong, 45% for Bulldogs. So Bulldogs dominated, they had all their stars play really really well. They their defense, you know, Liam Jones and sort of that, they p- provide a lot of run and sort of ball movement and the, and the numbers outside the four fifty. you know the other three quarters of the ground probably all point in Bulldogs favour but it was that Polish in the front half that, that got them uh, Gold Coast versus Adelaide
1: uh, we talked about uh, the Suns a little bit before but that midfield is just purring along and without Tuuk Millard Jake
0: yeah I um, it was a real team effort this one and something that might have gone just a little bit under the radar was the fact that only one Suns player and this probably does highlight how much of a team effort it was only one Suns player had over Seventeen disposals in that game, which is pretty rare. I would have thought mm. in a win. Uh, and we've
1: talked about uh, post clearance contested possessions on this podcast before. And we actually another listener question um, wanted an update on this, so we've held it for for now. But they want an update on the rankings, and it is the Suns who are now top in the league.
2: Yeah, and it's almost based on that game. So Adelaide have been again. We talk about pre and post contested possession clear uh, contested possessions one post-clearance has been Adelaide's forte. Their their ability to sort of win outside the, you know, the ball's kicked to a contest one-on-one. They either win that one-on-one or win at a ground level. They've been the best at that. They were smashed uh, the other night. So I think there were 32 in favour of Gold Coast, the post-clearance contested possession differential, which is Adelaide's worst uh, result in the game this year. But it it just flipped the ranking. So going into the round, Adelaide were number one in that stat uh, and Gold Coast were sitting fifth. Um... After this one game, just because of the smashing, Gold Coast is now number one for post-clearance uh, contester possessions, and Adelaide dropped all the way down to, I think it's equal eighth or equal ninth, because they, they were sort of, they were, I think, plus 34 going into the game. They've lost it by 32, so it's, it's a big jumping for them. But Gold Coast now is sort of, and again, we talk about them being hard to play, and we talk about some teams sort of sacrificing their pre-clearance versus their post-clearance. The one thing that Gold Coast, and again, it's early stages, so I think this is just something they're trying to build on the philosophies, is win the contest. So they're number one for pre-clearance contested possession differential and number one for post-clearance differential this year as well. So they they're still got to find out they're part of their game and, and they're probably the forward half. But again, the one thing I watch Gold Coast, especially the last six weeks, is they're hard to play against. And, and by that, I mean they're hard to win the ball against. Um, and if you do win the ball, it's sort of you, you've got to kick to another contest and win another contest after that. They don't sort of uh, afford you a lot of space. So... As I said, yeah, Adelaide sort of built their uh, season and their comeback around the post-clearance contested possession. I think Gold Coast has started to get their season um, up and running again, based on their just their overall contested possessions. Uh, Giants and Tigers, the first to 100 rule in Tatters
1: again, because uh, the Giants hit that marker and still got
2: done. Yeah, two hours later, it was it was. Uh, it was Rectified again by Essendon hitting 100. So I did notice the two Sunday games. Actually it was, was a 50 50 split. Yeah, that was one of the things I sort well, of noticed. The score
0: in the second game, I know we're jumping ahead, but the, it was 99 99 with a couple, like a minute or two to go. And I thought, I don't know if I've ever seen the score 99 apiece <laughs> I don't <laughs> know if I've ever seen
1: that. Uh, yeah, a couple of high scorers on the on the Sunday and not probably think you know, not from teams you would probably expect given their relative rankings on the mm. ladder. I know the, the bombers were are doing good, quite they well. Two good games, yeah.
0: Two good games.
2: Uh the Giants and the Tigers, what'd you see? Yeah, so Giants probably just would be kicking themselves for that one. So seventy inside fifties to forty seven across the 70. game. Yeah, so, so that's the second most inside fifties for a losing ti- uh, for a losing team since twenty seventeen. Um So, we've seen a few bigger ones um, before. I think we saw a 72 and a 73. Well, normally it's just like
0: the the end of those sort of losses.
2: Yeah, so again, it was similar to what I was talking about. Geelong and Bulldogs were talking about the actual disposal efficiency once the ball was inside 50. This is just the initial kick inside 50. So, uh, Richmond was able to retain retain possession from 68% of their kicks into the 50. So, that's the kick from the midfield that crosses the forward 50 arc. Uh, 68% of the time they hit a target, 33% for GWS. So, that was the number one ranked team. Against the number, how many teams played this week? 14th ranked team for the round. So, again, very rarely is one team so clean at one end and another team just can't find a target at the other end. But, yeah, Gold Coast, again, dominated the play, probably generating. Sorry, yes, (laughs) GWS. If you're generating 70 inside 50s, there's a, there's a lot of boxes you're ticking. Yep. So there's yep. a lot of things you're taking out of that hey, game. It's so like it Melbourne
1: right. a few years back. I remember they were getting up around that sort of 65-70 a game and just couldn't actually
2: yep. score. But as I said, it, it was close in the end, but it was even more surprising. They were at 60 inside 50s and they were down by 15 points like early in the fourth quarter, so it was... It was you know, the, the score was even closer than it should be based on where, where they were sitting in the fourth quarter. They were sort of just wasting a lot of entries. Mm. Uh, Essendon versus North Melbourne. Now, Jake, you've got a, a theory,
1: and it's uh, tag good players because you talk about Zach Merritt mm. and the start that he had and what
0: uh, what North was able to do after Liam Shields went to him. Oh, it was... Not, look, it wasn't chalk and cheese, but he was... That first quarter, I don't know if you've got any numbers, rating points or anything, that, that was as good a first quarter as you'll ever see. I uh, know we, you know, people can say what they want about Zach Merritt, but he's an incredible footballer, and if you give him time and space, he'll just carve you up.
2: Yeah, and it was almost the difference. Again, that was probably my key stat from the game is just that first quarter and how good he was, almost set up Essendon for the win. So he had sixteen disposals and kicked a couple of goals. So he's this only the second player in Champion Data's time to finish with at least fifteen disposals and two goals in a quarter. The only other player to do it was Daniel Kerr uh, for West Coast about yeah, 20-odd twenty odd years ago. So it's just. It is, it's a dominant quarter. It's a it's dominant quarter. quarter. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's good stuff. Not uh, only that, but five inside 50s, a couple of tackles, uh, six contested possessions, eight kicks, eight handballs, 81% efficiency. Like, he was doing everything.
1: Uh, but a bit to look forward to from North, we saw some signs from George Wardlaw that were excellent. Uh, Will Phillips uh, starting to get a run at it as well.
0: Wardlaw? You like? Very good. Very much like. Bailey Humphrey, I like. The These half. young players
1: that have just started to show we've, a bit in the contest. Yeah,
0: we've said this oh. numerous times this year, but I think it's, just clear now. How much better these guys are coming in, just ready to go. Yeah, they're good hands.
2: They they probably are better, but the confidence as well. Mm. Like George Wardlaw, just eighteen centre bounces. Throw him in there. He's not timid. He's going to go hard at it, and you know, straight off. So yeah, Phillips and uh, Wardlaw. I think they combined for fifteen clearances between them. So I think it was uh, good signs. Uh, Eight and seven for the two, and yeah, again, that's you sort of starting to build a milf- midfield around those two. Sheasel is your outside player. I know Simkin got injured. LDU yep. wasn't playing, so there's. Straight away, you look at it and go, "Okay, that's North Melbourne's midfield for the next five years." They've just got to start putting some games together and start really, really quickly.
1: North better under Rats than Clarko. I
0: don't think I'm the person who answered this, eh? (laughs) I mean, the numbers would say yes. All right. Uh, Anyway, we'll move on from that one.
1: Uh, We are getting into red time of this podcast, sponsored by Subway, which means it's time for is the hype justified or is it hyperbole? Jake Nick mm. Daykos is not a legitimate chance to win
0: the Brownlow. Oh, that's ridiculous. That's hyperbole. Th- I'm reading the question. Of, he's a, he's the favourite. He has been the favourite since about round three. Okay. Um, Will he win it? Oh, it's too early to say. There's, there's still half the season to play. He could get injured next week. He could get suspended. We don't know. But right now, if the count if if the count was tonight, um, he would be the favourite, and he probably would win it. I mean, he. Th- He's had a phenomenal season. The, the, where I probably it's it's a little bit of the Zach Merritt thing, where as much as I love Zach Merritt, and this is for any player, when he is when there's attention gone into Dacos, he's struggled as as players do, and that's why I th- I think so much of his ball does come uncontested, and that's fine, and, and no one's there, there's been the vast majority of games where no one's gone to him. He's been able to do that. There's there's just. A bit of a formula or a blueprint for how players have won Brownlow medals. Look, the last 10. You've got to be good at two things. You've got to be good at contested possession, and you've got to be good at clearance. So, contested possessions. This is where the last 10 have ranked for contested possession in the year they won it. 3rd, 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 1st, 3rd, 7th, 4th, 1st, 4th, 2nd. Dacos ranks 97th right now for for contested possession. Clearances, 3rd, 15th, 5th, 3rd, 1st, 7th, 4th first, fourth, ninth day cost is 112th right now for clearances. So he he's going to have to buck a bit of a trend. So we we built a light tracker at
2: at Champion Data and we've sort of uh, just started running it from round eleven onwards, and we've built in the exact same thing. We know what stats umpires are more likely to, you know if you've got more than ten in this stat, you're more likely to get two or three votes, et cetera, et cetera. So we've got all that weighting put into it. Um, and the numbers are still still spitting him out four votes ahead of Christian Petrarca at this stage. So even factoring in how previous Brownlows have played, the champion data formula still has Nick Dacos getting the most votes.
1: It's a, it's a quote-unquote sexy name, and that gets attention. And oh, we it talk does. Talk about umpires yeah. and and, yeah, and just players that are visible and known and all that kind of stuff. It must factor into their decision-making, so who knows? Uh, really quickly, got a couple more. Michael Voss will get the sack if he loses badly to Essendon.
0: Ooh, I mean he can make the case He will and should Ooh. But I don't think he will Losers well, have sacked coaches For losing to Essendon before They have I think Brendan Bolton Yeah But I'd be surprised
1: Yep uh, And last one Clayton Oliver is worth more To Melbourne in Than to go out For
0: King's birthday Me again um, Just Yeah he is. he is Absolutely, that's justified. I think to, I think they the pies can cover to go. I think because we've seen players like Taylor Adams and Jack Chris probably not play as much midfield time as they have in the past. I think they can cover him in the midfield. Um, whereas Oliver, I mean, he's one of the best five players in the league. I mean, he's a massive inclusion for the D. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Thursday night, footy's
1: back. So get your tips in the day earlier. Otherwise, you'll be uh, behind the eight ball. Uh, And like I said, if you have any questions, comments, feedback for us, we're at at FootyTips on Twitter. Christian, thanks again for all you do. Jake, good to speak with you. To everyone at home, we'll speak to you in the next episode.
0: Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.